Welcome to the Ugly Truth. Step one, train the people only to consume. Step two, infiltrate adults with the news. Step three, indoctrinate the children through the schools and the music and the apps. On the All right, it is ready to... It is time to get started on the ugly truth. All right, we are going to talk about something before we get to our main theme real quick. Our main theme is the ugly truth of Big Pharma, but our special co-host tonight had a story. He was telling me off the air. What was that again, sir? Well, you know everybody, we've... uh we notice it takes like an extra quarter maybe for every gallon you want to put in the car or maybe an extra 50 cents, maybe an extra 75 cents. Some of you I see are pulling out a whole extra dollar mm-hmm. to get, and I mean, I thought I've got a pretty efficient little, uh, it's kind of an American made Honda Civic, but you know, it's getting 25.6 miles to the gallon. Like I'm real light on the, on the, you know, we're coasting down the hill. Uh-huh. All right. And... What was the ugly truth? There was the, the ugly truth is that you missed that 75 cents. When you had it in your pocket, you used to have a nice lunch. Like, you could get french fries with your meal. So There's another article, something else you were... I'm, I'm, I'm on it, I'm on it. I'm, I'm transitioning. Get to it? Oh, this wow. Is, this is the I'm big builder. Oh, I'm the playing the long game here. <laughs> All right, go pack All right, do you want to hear it? Go pack this is, go. this is profound, right? Yes, right, sir, like when, when they talk about the latte factor... Okay. Okay, this is not a dollar and seventy-five cents when you're overpaying for your gas, you walk in and have a gas station coffee. This is saying you guys are going to kind of a famous restaurant out of Seattle and it has a uh this this uh emblem uh-huh. is a double tailed fish that is uh Dagon. Right? This is like ball. Oh. Is the bull Dagon? Is this fish that is um, that is entire and Sidon that is worshipped in the Mediterranean and is oh. uh, one of the enemies of the God of the Bible? Right. This is from this same pantheon. Huh. When when what we hear uh, when you hear about uh, like Babylon, like uh-huh. the Babylonian exile, right? All right. So that's. That's this restaurant out of Seattle where people go and can pay like $4.50 for a cup of coffee. Yeah. And your financial advisor would say, if you could cut out this $4.50 every day, you could save for retirement. (laughs) That's how much it is. This $4.50 is 200 bucks a month. And what you're missing in the end is like this $50,000 boat or something. This is your your vacation home. This is something big. So if it is real... That Roe has been overturned. It hasn't yet. Right. But if that's real, if that happens. what you're going to see is babies in baby carriages in the grocery store. You're going to start seeing babies everywhere. You're not going to see a tide of people are celibate and they don't date the way they used to <laughs> because they don't want to have a baby. Babies will just be had if they can't be killed anymore. Yeah. So if you're not imagining, if that's not my future in three to six months, like baby carriages everywhere, <coughs> they still find a way to kill all the kids. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's the ugly truth I'm bringing out. Yeah. Is yeah. that 
Yeah. Um, so we got the ugly truth of big pharma. We've got a water and fridge over there for you, sir. So the history of the pharmaceutical industry is what you grabbed up here, wasn't it? Right. What you brought up? Right. So, uh, you know, pharma, the pharmaceutical industry is fairly new in history. Mm, yeah. Right? Um, because the oldest records of medicinal pre- preparations from plants, animals, or minerals are those of the early Chinese, Hindu, and Mediterranean civilizations. So that's ancient times, right? In the 1546, the first collected list of drugs and medical chemicals appeared in Nuremberg, Germany. Hmm, interesting. That's interesting, huh? And in the 1800s, many important compounds were isolated from plants for the first time. So in the 1800s, that's when they started isolating things and creating chemical compositions. Okay. Um, originating as a pharmacy in Darmstadt, Germany, um, in 1666, um, Heinrich Emil Merck um, began to transition towards an industrial and scientific concern by manufacturing and selling alkaloids in 1827. So, um, alkaloids were actually the first... Um, chemically created medicine by Merck. So, and Merck is still a company today. Because acids back then would melt through the glass bottles that they had to hurl the True. early medicines. True. Because That's why everything you, was in glass. And you had to climb up the volcano and get the magma and cool it in a bucket of water to make <laughs> glass. And it all looked like stained glass back then. Meanwhile... GlaxoSmithKline's <laughs> origins can be traced back to Beecham of London, producing patented medicine from 1842, and the world's first factory for producing only medicines in 1859. Before that, all factories produced both candy canes and medicine. Actually, a little of everything. And yeah. this was the first. Yeah, and this one was only medicine, right. And meanwhile, in the USA, Pfizer was founded in 1849 by two German immigrants. And if you've seen Willy Wonka, it, it was based on the life of these two guys that started this factory. It was very whimsical. There was like a <laughs> chocolate river. And just like theirs on the Willy Wonka, their business expanded rapidly during the American Civil War, in this case, as demand for painkillers, c- uh, candy, and antiseptics rocketed. <laughs> candy. They also had a golden ticket in every tenth bottle that would get you another bottle for free of this painkiller. Yeah. And, this and that painkiller was what? That painkiller was the pain, what? Bain <laughs> this is not Bayer Aspen we're talking about? Not yet. What? No, Almost. No. Not the yet. Horses. That the, the company we talked about several times before in our podcast, Bayer. Bayer. Bear. Bear. Founded in 1863. 1863. In, Yeehaw! In Germany, our dear friends, Germany. Sorry, Katie. Dorsley. Commercialized aspirin around the turn of the 20th century. That was one of the most successful pharmaceuticals ever at that point. In the history of the world. Bear. At that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, but these companies focused as much on cod liver oil, toothpaste, citric acid for soft drinks and hair gel as they did on prescriptions. And who today uses cod oil, hair gel, 
shampoo, or toothbrush, <laughs> but pharmaceuticals have survived. <laughs> well, but they were also selling products like heroin on the over-the-counter market. Yeah, that's where they made their money, bud. Right. And cocaine tooth drop, toothache drops. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about the drugs. Yes. The period between 18, 1918 and 1939 was marked by two breakthroughs, insulin and penicillin, that saw the arrival of the modern pharma industry. But remember, let's just go back to that, what, 1918? Does mm-hmm. that ring a bell for anybody? Ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> U.S. pharmaceutical industry was booming. Thanks to the economy and generous funding from the government, with the National Institutes of Health seeking its federal funding, seeing that funding rise nearly $100 million by 1956. This investment fueled the development of drugs to come over the coming decades. So it's just more funding, more funding, more funding. And in 1918, why was there so much money in 1918? Because they had to figure out a cure for the flu. Yeah. The the Spanish Spanish flu. flu. But now it's not popular to call it the Spanish flu or the Chinese flu. Because that's racist. (laughs) Or the Italian (laughs) habit. And it's usually wrong where it came from. Right? Anyway. Well, look at that, though. NIH. Yep. NIH, even then. They're even in back the in the 40s. Yep. Mm-hmm. Since the passage in 1902, the U.S. Biologics Control Act, uh, which initiated the regulation of vaccines, problems with negligence in manufacture have declined greatly. But before that, there was... Lots of instances where batches were bad or um, they didn't get their mixes right and people died because of the manufacturing industry. On that that Woodstock movie, they say don't eat the brown acid. (laughs) Yeah, I'm no kidding. Because it's like toilet cleaner. Ew. Yeah, it reminds me of a Cheech and Chong movie. (laughs) This also reminds me of something I know about this cutter incident. I know about this one. Yes. In 1955, because I have a podcast on Jonas Salk. In 1955, did you know that about 200 people were paralyzed from the Salk vaccine and 10 people died? They actually contracted polio from the Salk polio vaccine despite a manufacturer's adherence to federal government standards because it just happens, right? Mm -hmm. The event was known as the Cutter Incident. It was a tainted batch. Yep. And after the manufacture of one of the implicated vaccines, many injured people and their families filed lawsuits against the vaccine manufacturers, and most cases were settled out of court. Then, of course, what happened after that? And then, through the 1970s and 80s, a number of lawsuits. So this is where the money starts flying back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. A number of lawsuits brought against the vaccine manufacturers increased dramatically. Mm -hmm. Manufacturers made large payouts to individuals and families claiming vaccine injury, mostly from the DPT immunization. What's that one? The diphtheria pertussis tetanus. Is that one that they would give to pregnant women? Um, this one, uh, this one was mainly children. Because yeah. I know there were a lot of lawsuits when they would give pregnant women something. That and, was the thumb. The baby would. Yeah, that word. So then after that, they get immunity? 
No. So um, this is not something that they've had since... Thalidomide. That's the one. Thalidomide. Right, because now yeah. can't you, like, not sue vaccine manufacturers Correct. Yes, that's what we're getting to here. So, um, in the 70s and 80s, there were so many um, lawsuits that um, many pharmaceutical companies left the vaccine business altogether. So, by the end of 84, only one U.S. company still manufactured the DPT vaccine because everybody was afraid of getting sued. So, what did the government say? We can't let them fail. They're too big to fail. So, in October 1986, (laughs) U.S. Congress responded to this precarious situation by passing the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. The act included many regulations related to informed consent and adverse event reporting. Mm -hmm. The Vaccine Information Statement, or VIS, lists the risks and benefits of a particular vaccine. Supposed to but can they still force you to give it to your kid so that he can go to public kindergarten? That's another question. But this one is about the VAERS reporting system that we report on every week. And that is the VAERS was created to report suspected vaccine-related adverse events. Mm-hmm. Additionally, the act contained provisions for a program that would fairly and efficiently compensate individuals harmed by certain vaccines. So there was supposed to be a program that would be a fund. You can't sue the manufacturer. But because we'll set the up government has fund. money for you. Yeah, our tax money. Right. It's like the rape fund in Congress, right? It was, this, this system was hoped to stabilize the legal environment for the manufacturers so that they could limit their liability and better anticipate their legal costs and reduce potential barriers in research. Because they said, we'll just stop experimenting, we'll stop researching because we can't afford to be sued. So right. the government right. had to protect them. Right. Exactly. So DHHS established the system, the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program in 88. Right. The NVICP does not cover all vaccines. Did you know that? Oh, oh, no. Actually, I didn't. Vaccines routinely given to children as part of the recommended immunization schedule are included. And some adult vaccines. Hmm. But then came the omnibus autism proceeding. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, this is where people started really waking up. Beginning in 2001, hundreds... Because if not thousands, if not thousands of children had autism in this country, and we're like, three years ago there was no autism. Where did this come from? Exactly. And now suddenly every kid has it. Exactly. So t- the NVICP started getting all uh, was getting bombarded with these claims. It right? spread from parent to parent. This vaccine hysteria. This <laughs> this this autism craze. It was like a mind virus. Mm-hmm. These conspiracy theorists, you know, this was a natural thing that children have always been autistic. Right. And how dare you try to blame good, solid American companies that are out trying American? to make people healthy. <laughs> right. So, um, in order to address this problem with these huge number of petitions about vaccinations causing autism, the NVICP established a special program in 2002 called the Omnibus Autism Proceeding. And the first test case addressed whether measles 
mumps, rubella, MMR vaccine alone or along with the... Thimerosal, there it is. Thimerosal-containing vaccines is a causal factor in autism. In this first grouping of test cases, there were three that they used to determine whether MMR and TCVs together cause autism. Three people, okay? Three cases. That's what irritated me. That's not, that's not a huge grouping of, of bodies, right? It's three cases. So, so this is not the theory that there's a mercury that's a carrier mm-hmm. in the... No, they were, they were talking about... For, they were just trying to determine whether MMR or TCV-containing vaccines actually caused the autism. And there's not a 10,000-person study over 20 years. There's three Correct. Three, three of these cases, Cedillo, um v... Uh, who is this? Cedillo and Hazelhurst and Snyder v... Um, HHS. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or whoever it was they were suing. Right? Three cases is all they did. And um, the special master issued the first opinion um, in 2009, finding in three test cases, consolidating into the theory of the one, the MMR vaccine given alone or with TCVs was not a factor in autism. The second test case examined just the TCVs alone. And the theory, too, was decided in 2010, also did not cause autism. So they're saying that between these three cases, that this wasn't the reason for them having autism. It must have been because of their DNA or because they had older parents. Because those are the two main reasons people say children have autism. Okay. The fentanyl did nothing wrong. Yeah, Yeah, right? (laughs) So autism... Has increased 178% since 2000. Now, you know, one of their reasons that they say the autism numbers have increased exponentially since the 70s is because we didn't know all of the nuances of autism. And in the 70s, it was only the non-responsive autistic kids. I understand that. You know, comparing 1970s data to today... Uh, does not make sense because it wasn't all of the nuances of But the of average birthing age was eight years younger. Right. True. Um, but increasing 178% since 2000? Okay. You can't use that same excuse on that percentage. These so that is crazy. birth control and Prozac for eight years. True. True. So they're already hormonally imbalanced, imbalanced and... So, as of March 2010, 13,330 cases were filed under the VICP, of which 5,617 are autism cases. And guess what? All of them have been thrown out. There's no correlation between vaccine and autism. They still are ignoring the fact. Right, because correlation is not causation. So, if there's a correlation between even some of our listeners who have their children in public school mm-hmm. and autism. It doesn't mean that having your children in public school caused you to be an autistic parent. 
parent of an autistic child. No, right. no. An autistic listener that should have their <laughs> children in homeschool. Right. If they're right. with the program, if they right. know what's going on with the indoctrination. Because the indoctrination is not three guys that were arrested that all used to be uh, like selling ice cream at the Magic Kingdom. Right. That's not the story. <laughs> Right. This is not about one crazy teacher in one school, and you saw them on Libs of TikTok this week. <laughs> well, you, all you have to do is look at those numbers, right, on the increase of autist, autism, and then look at the vaccine schedule from 1986 versus 2019. And it's right and, there on the Digging Deeper Twitter feed. It if is. you want to see this graph that we're talking about. That's right. The CDC recommended vaccines in 1986. Okay? That was um, our era, right? So our in 1986... 1986, you guys were already like two or three years old, right? Oh, yeah. You're we claiming to be kind of like young millennials, hip and with the vibe. <laughs> Not claiming that, no. Um, so but, this is under Reagan this happened to us. In 1986, yes. In 1986, there were 12 shots on the 12. childhood vaccine schedule. 12. And that was not enough to kill all the children in the land. It was so not. So wait, and what happened next? <laughs> 12 shots, 25 antigens. So that just means that, like, MMR has three. Mumps, measles, rubella, right? There was typhoid. So, there was the one where you would be like polio. Yeah, those were not... Uh, well, the polio was on the schedule, but typhoid wasn't. Was it? Oh, DPT was, right. So 12 shots, 25 antigens, 8 diseases is what those vaccines were meant to stop, right? 2019, not 12 shots, 54 shots. What? 54 shots is on the schedule now for children. And you tell me that they're not getting autism because they get shot up like a drug, a, a druggy, a drug them, act? And they're comboing them like a cocktail. Right. Right. 54 shots. 70 antigens. Not 25 antigens. 70 antigens. And they're twice as many diseases. 16 diseases. But it's it's all about the money. This is it sickening. is. It's all about the money. And so how one of the reasons we're we're so upset about the the COVID vaccine is because they didn't do any testing, right? And they're forcing it on us before the testing is complete, you, right? Because you got excited and bought a bunch of Moderna stock and you're like, oh no, then the J&J got approved the next week and oh no, there goes all my gains. I thought the J&J was going to take another six months to join the race. No, no. it's all about their money. Uh, not my money, their Not money. your money. Not my money, their money. You weren't making money on this. Thing. No. <laughs> I saw so, you guys kind of no, jumped into that. I felt you was, yeah. Weren't you selling digging deeper masks, or were you guys leading a mask oh, burning no. we, protest? We had a mask burning. We had a burning. Yes, yes. Um, there was an article in the New York Times in 2013. Okay? Would you believe it? Yeah, they actually had an one. actual article. An actual article, right? Uh, titled "Companies Should Have No Role in Testing Their Drugs." 
In 2013, the New York Times was pointing this out. Because companies were offering to test your drugs to see if they were pure or not. And New York Times says no. No. Drug companies sponsor clinical trials that must be submitted to the FDA to get approval to sell prescription drugs. So they could lie. The problem is that they can design those trials to make a favorable outcome much more likely. For example, they can test a drug in young people, even though it will be used mostly in older people, because young people are less likely to have side effects that indicate safety problems. Right? Well, the young people can miss school to go to the survey and get $25, but the old people have to work and keep the real economy running. Yeah, yeah. But their main, their main question was, how can companies that need to maximize profits for shareholders be expected to evaluate their drug objectively? So they were saying there should be like this third-party third testing. Party it's like testing. an internal accountant, you know. Right. It's, yeah, we got a, oh yeah. Yeah, we got our, this guy doing it. We got this guy doing it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so who are the shareholders, or who, who do they have to... Um, who do they have to answer to? Mm-hmm. Right? Who owns the world's largest pharmaceutical companies? Dun, dun, dun. Find out now on Digging Deeper with but Brian first, and Andy. But first, this message. Hey, everyone. This is Brian Hale. If you've heard this program before, you know I have been offering website help for many years. In fact, we've been in the business for over 20, and we'd love to help you. For anything website related, even if you just need some advice, it's free. Email support at hailmultimedia.com or call 940-224-6315. Portfolio, pricing, and contacts all on hailmultimedia.com. All right, so who owns the world's largest pharmaceutical companies? Yeah, is, uh, well, is the three The three largest shareholders, for example... Queen of England. Of Pfizer, J&J, and Merck. Okay. Are Vanguard, SSGA, and BlackRock. So Vanguard is a fund, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That sounds like every one of us in our retirement plans owns these pharmaceutical companies. Yes. The multi-trillion dollar funds which make investments on behalf of their clients and keep a cut for their service. So, because they're the largest shareholders, they get the most say. Wow. Mm. So, did you know that pharma companies game the system to keep their drugs expensive? Shut up. (laughs) What are you, some tinfoil hat? Wearing tinfoil (laughs) hattie. Drug development is risky and expensive. We've already talked about that. Because there's a long testing and approval process. In 1984, Congress stuck a bargain with pharmaceutical companies. If they bought brought a new therapy to market, they won exclusive rights to sell that product in the U.S. for a limited amount of time. Right? right? So it's the brand name drug. And they're the only ones who can sell it, right? Was that the patent thing? The same thing? That's the patent patent thing, yes. After that, after that limited amount of time is over, generic drugs could be made by competitors at competitive prices. 
But more and more, makers of branded drugs are using a variety of tactics to extend their exclusive rights. They're using pay-for-delay agreements, citizen petitions, restricted distribution schemes, restricted distribution schemes, and legal challenges to delay the introduction of cheaper generics. Generic drug makers aren't helping themselves by having issues with manufacturing quality, but this is how they're getting around it and they're charging more. But Brand X is just so generic. (laughs) Are you going to trust Brand X to cure your cancer or your Alzheimer's or your diabetes? I want that brand name drug and I can afford it. That's why I worked hard so I can have the best. And don't tell me that they're exactly the same. (laughs) No, it's all about the money. They just want to rake in that cash cow as long as they can. The delay tactics, tactics are costing consumers billions of dollars a year and the federal government should clamp down on the loopholes. But I think, me, Miss Andy, I think it's time we get back to our roots. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights. No, there's not a pill. There is no pill out there to cure every ailment. And most pharmaceuticals cause more problems than they help. Right. So let's look first to our ancestors and the roots of holistic health and natural remedies. Right. Instead of this BS, give me something to fix the problem. And I finally got to the end of the segment. This guy kept interrupting me. You guys did great, no? You did all right there. Wow, that was the, that ugly, was the truth ugly truth of big pharma, and there is so much more research on the big pharma subject that we could definitely get into. Yeah, I just didn't have time for it all. Yep. I knew it was too long already, but too much time. That's okay. We had an extra long Truman's Matrix segment so that we could welcome you back and get that segment done so mm-hmm. back from the big memorial day weekend <laughs> oh yes all right so that is going to do it for mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. ugly truth segment we're going to close it on out and thank you for listening to the ugly truth because they can't stop us because we're ready to fight trying to brainwash us but we won't let freedom die The whole world's brainwashed Everybody pick a team, start a riot in the streets The whole world's brainwashed It's us against them, it ain't you against me The Ugly Truth Hard to listen to, but impossible to ignore